and welcome to episode two of the History Mysteries podcast. Before I start, I just wanted to let you know that we are gradually adding the podcast to various sites. Um, It's a bit of a complex thing at the moment for us, not knowing exactly what we're doing. But we seem to be on Podbean, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts, and we're just waiting for approval from Apple. And I think I've managed to get it um, up to Spotify. So fingers crossed that it will be available on all of your listening uh, platforms from this point on. I also very quickly, before we started, um, want to thank Simon Jacklin and Marion Watt for your comments and to everyone in my Twitch community for your support. It's massively appreciated and hopefully it will just carry on and we'll get... uh, We'll get more, what do you think? Work in progress, but we're getting there. We are getting there. So today, I'm going to be talking about number stations. Number or numbers, depending on what you're watching, listening to, with Jim again. Say hi, Jim. Hi, Jim. Yeah, there. <laughs> hey. Um, and we're going to discuss the history and various theories that surround number stations. There you go. That's uh, that's one of the more well-known ones. Okay. Yeah. So that's called Swedish Rhapsody. Really? Yes. Okay. Because that's the tune, I assume, that's playing at the start. Sounds like a horridly sinister ice cream van. That's really, really funny because that's exactly what I've written. Um, I've written in brackets, think cursed ice cream van. <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah, so we're, we're starting from the similar baseline. We're starting here, from we? a very similar baseline. Yeah, so what do you think about that? And what do you think you know about number <laughs> stations? I don't know a great deal. Um, I'll be entirely honest. So this is another one where I am going to be making lots of ooh noises when you say things, I'm hoping. I'm not saying it's aliens. Well, I mean, it could be, by (laughs) by the sound of that. Well, I think aliens have better taste. I would hope so. Yeah. Okay, so these are, what I know about them, they are radio transmissions. Yes. Um, I understand there's quite a lot of them, or there might be. That that was a thing I thought. (laughs) I'm prepared to be disabused of that notion. (laughs) Um, No spoilers. No one really knows what they mean. But they might be to do with spies, or maybe I'm just hoping they're to do with spies, because I love spies. <laughs> I do love spies. Almost as much as I love pirates. So for many of us, maybe the first time we heard the signals from number stations, or even just heard about them, was in conjunction with this, with stories, uh, media representations, leaning heavily on the frankly creepy effect of hearing a automated voice um that might sound kind of like a child repeating 
what appears to be endless gibberish um, in various languages, sometimes with a creepy tune. This is where I've put Think Cursed Ice Cream Van. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. creepy, yeah. Um, which often linked the broadcast with the idea of mind control by yeah, okay. the governments. Okay. Um, aliens. Yeah. There's always aliens. Um, and sinister government experiments. Yeah. And spies! Yay! Yay! Okay, okay. For anyone who doesn't know exactly, you know, sort of what number stations are, they're anonymous, shortwave radio stations that broadcast messages at preset times, sometimes periodically, sometimes random on very specific frequencies. There are various websites that actually allow you to listen in to ones that are currently there so they're still broadcasting there are a lot of them actually that are still broadcasting not the ones that we know best with the real creepy tunes but there are there are number stations still Mm. going on so if you go to priam p-r-i-y-o-m dot org what that has it has a list of all active and non-active number stations and you can actually it's always got um it's got a live feed that says what wow. the next number station coming up is. So it often will say so many hertz in 10 minutes and you ju- you can just listen in. You can also download five discs worth of <laughs> recordings of the number stations from, um, oh, and it's God. called the Connet Project. So there were a lot of them. There are less now, that's, but there were. That's like, I got a five CD set of the Ring Cycle. That's like <laughs> listening to Wagner. a three-day Wagner opera of creepy um, ice cream van music. Uh, I mean, that Ryan... is psychological torture. I haven't even thought about that. This is a conspiracy theorist's paradise, isn't it? But this is the reason I think that it is so hard to kind of not loop yourself around when you're trying to do research about it. And it's also something that is still very much like when we did about the Orang Madan. It's still in the public consciousness, number stations, because they still exist. There's nothing that there's nothing out there that tells us exactly what they are mm-hmm. or exactly what they were. And also, they are really creepy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't get past that. I have done research. I have... You've done some research. I've done some research. Do you know what? That's a bit crazy, isn't it? <laughs> that I've actually done some research. But I have, and I've gone through the various theories. It doesn't change the fact that every time I hear that Swedish Rhapsody... I want to curl up in a little ball in a corner and cry. Mm. It's really, really horrible. Yeah. And I and I know enough about them to not feel like that, but it doesn't change the fact that I do. So there you go. Number stations are still about. Um, some can be silent for most of the day or even week and then suddenly jump to life with artificial human voices, sounds, Morse code, short songs, nursery rhymes, different modulations. It's a whole mix. Right. Okay. So if we think about representations in media. Okay, yeah. I'm looking at you. Can you, you think of um, any? Um, okay, so the immediate one that springs to mind are the numbers in Lost. Yeah. Because I like Lost. So I'm guessing that that, although that has larger narrative purposes within the framework of the overall TV show, those numbers repeating being transmitted send someone insane in the first series. That was a big spoiler, thanks. Oh, well, come on, it's that old now. And it's, 
Well, it, the numbers are important. The numbers but... are important. They're not sent in the way that you have to tune in, in the way that you do with a number station, but numbers are important. And yeah. it is something that I would like to link to, so can you put a pin in it? Yeah, absolutely. For yeah. later on. I'm struggling to think of it. I mean, there's a lot of like Cold War spy stuff where coded signals are sent. Coded radio messages were used in World War Two, and that's been used in a lot of spy films as well, I think. But I'm struggling for anything more specific. Maybe you being a horror aficionado might be able to bring something well, into the mix. Well, this is the strange thing for me, because as someone who really, really loves horror films and games, there's not that much out there. Right. I had to really rack my brains to think of anything that actually used number stations as a way to scare the audience or mm. make you feel uncomfortable. Which is really bizarre because they are very uncomfortable. Yeah. You would think that it would be something that people would absolutely have latched onto, but it, they haven't. There and should be 10 or 15 terrible films using this as a device. By and now. let's be honest, I am absolutely your every letter of the alphabet horror film oh, watcher. Oh, if, if there's a terrible horror film, you'll know about it. Oh, absolutely. So what I could, the only one that I could think of was a film called Banshee Chapter, which I will make you watch, and I think you will enjoy it, oddly. I am washing my hair. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, there's a film called Banshee Chapter where picking up number station signals are, is used. There's an episode of Fringe. Oh, of course, yeah. Now, I think that makes their eyes bleed or something, and they listen to the number stations and they go a bit crazy and maybe kill people. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, again, it's it's, enact, it, it's using it to enact sleeper agents. Yeah, yeah. I may, I'm maybe making... I'm completely making that up, aren't I? It's been ages since I've watched it. But I do remember hearing that name might have been Swedish Rhapsody yeah. that they used. Because yeah. there's all sorts of them. Number stations, especially the ones with the nursery rhymes, were given the names of, of the music that was used. So you have, obviously, Swedish Rhapsody. Uh -huh. You have the Lincolnshire Poacher. Oh, I like that song. Yeah, I probably wouldn't after listening to that. And uh, obviously, I mean, it's not a broadcast, but in uh, in the final season of Buffy, it's uh, English folk songs that are also used to trigger Spike. That is true. Massive apologies for the fact that you will hear uh, rustling. It's me folding my piece of paper that I've stapled in totally the wrong way when I was half asleep this morning. So massive apologies for that. Trying to find where I'm up to. So our thoughts and theories about number stations is mainly currently made up of hearsay and speculation quite a lot of educated guesses thanks to the historians that have been around before we us you. we salute you but one of the reasons that there is still sustained uncertainty and chatter about it is because the reason for them has never actually been confirmed by anyone we assume that they are broadcasted by the government of various countries, but no <laughs> government has ever admitted that they do this. Why? Yeah, well, there's a question, isn't it? I mean, the fact that no one has ever... Okay, slight tangent on conspiracy theories in general. Oh, okay, I love this. Go. What, one of my generals, and a lot of people follow this, is that most conspiracy theories are impossible because it's impossible to get people to not talk about things if they're involved in them. Okay. That's why we know that the moon landing wasn't faked because it would require too many people to not say anything because they were involved. They would have been involved in the faking of it. True. And someone would have said something. Somebody would have said something. you just can't... This is what one of the things I said when we recorded about the Orang Madan. Yeah. 
if somebody somebody on the silver star if that had been real would have said hey i went and saw the ghost ship yeah but nobody did apart from a missionary from the the rhino dancer okay back to you um so i think that if these were at least quasi-official several government agencies and or military i just find it absolutely mind-boggling that there wouldn't have been umpteen people come forward over the however long they've been in operation and say oh yeah that's i was doing this that's what that i was involved in that that's what that was what's your theory then if they're not to do with the government what's your thought i think it's lonely people having a joke that's what i think now but i'm going to be prepared to be educated prepared to be educated well one of the reasons and i think you have a point that people can't keep quiet about things we know that however it would be really really stupid for a government as a whole to admit to the existence of these stations because most of them are operated illegally on frequencies that are reserved for emergency emergency services air traffic control it's very difficult to triangulate where these are coming from so people can often get vague areas but Uh there's nobody's ever found somebody sitting there or a live broadcast station it seems okay so i feel like there's two ways into this that might allow us to tease out some of the uh, facts I'll, i'll do air quotes around those okay um, is where, like you've just been saying, I mm-hmm. think trying to figure out where these things are being broadcast from can give you some context. And something I don't know, because I was surprised that some are still broadcasting, when did they start? When did they stop? What was going on in the world at that point? Might that give us some ways in? Yeah. So the FCC, which is the Federal Communication Commission, which is based in America, has said that they have no information about any of these stations because the frequencies they use are unlicensed. They also must transmit from unregistered transmitters because the radio signals are hard to locate as there's no digital trail because they're just shortwave radio broadcasts you know anyone with a little handheld radio can pick up shortwave radio yeah you don't need anything i mean what level of equipment do you need to transmit on that I'm, i'm guessing it's not onerous i don't think it is and as well, because these are, it's still the same technology now as it was in the 20s. Yeah, yeah. So you're not going to need a lot, which means that these things could have been in use for a hundred, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. A hundred years? No, let's go Cold War. Let's go from Cold Let's. Well, let's... well I mean, when do, do, you, do we have a date for when the first one started being picked up? we have a kind of record of the first ones being broadcast again it's very very difficult to kind of find anything completely concrete about them at all i mean some of this is going to be about the technology of how these stations Mm. work because i think you need to know this to be able to make any kind of educated guess about what the point of them is and why certain theories don't add up educate me on radio what do you know do you know anything i know do you know anything do you know anything (laughs) uh to be honest my knowledge of exactly how you transmit over radio is quite limited I, i know i know you need a big dish okay Well, FM radio signals, Mm -hmm. like uh, radio waves go in straight lines. Yeah. um, Which is why it's really difficult to pick up FM radio. You know, once you go a certain distance away, you can't pick it up. The great thing about shortwave radio signals is that you bounce the waves off the ionosphere. Oh, okay, yeah. Okay, so it means that 
you can actually get a signal over the horizon. Yeah. So because the shortwave radio in the atmosphere makes it really ideal for long-range radio transmissions, and you can send messages on the same frequency all over the world, all you need to receive the signals is a really simple shortwave radio. Mm. Which is one of the reasons that the big theory about it is that they were used for spies that have been sent to distant countries. Yeah. Yeah, okay, well that that's actually starting to make a whole lot of sense. So the most likely theory uh-huh. is spies. Yeah. It was spies, there you go, that's going to make you happy. It is. Number stations specifically appeared during World War II. Okay. So messages had been sent over shortwave radio during the First World War, but they hadn't been coded, they hadn't been encrypted in the same way, so they were more kind of like, everything's all clear, which if you were listening in, then that gave yeah. everything away. <laughs> So this is still history, in my humble opinion, because I'm wanting to talk about the history of sending coded messages. Okay, yeah. To explain why they're useful, assume that the theory is correct that number stations are used to send coded messages Uh via shortwave radio signals. Which is reasonable given if they appear during World War Two and have this proliferation during the Cold War period. Yep. Then where does that all start? So we're going back to the time of Caesar. All good we're doing, yeah. History of cryptography. History of cryptography. We're on a, a bit firmer ground for me here. Okay. Going back to the time and and I don't know a massive amount about this, so I will be passing over to you about the history of cryptography. <laughs> but I'll just give a very, very quick overview of what I know anyway. Caesar used code to send messages using coded letters and light signals using yep. various ciphers. I uh, guess. The Caesar cipher. The Caesar cipher. Wonderful. During World War One, military radio was used to send messages across a long distances but they weren't coded as i was saying before for example this led to a huge victory for the german army in prussia in 1914 due to them intercepting a message that just said in the clear so there you go that's why coding a message is actually really really useful in the 1920s shortwave radio was used to send messages long distances beyond the horizon and the information that i'm going to talk about from this point is factual evidence of it being used by spies Uh the numbers and letters heard in number station signals people have said that they use something called a vignette vignette cipher Visionaire. Okay, Visionaire Cipher. That sounds so much cooler than Vignette. Visionaire (laughs) Cipher using something called a one-time pad. And part of the reason that this works as a theory is because if you look at found one-time pads, they work with the amount of with the kind of blocks of numbers and letters that are sent, which are usually in fives. And then if you look at the one-time pads, it's blocks of five yeah uh they can be different depending on the country of origin but yes certain some spy networks use five block um well five character blocks as the build-up of the chain which is used to encode a message for a one-time pad okay i'm going to be very very honest that i am uh i'm not the best at that you know i did <laughs> i did perfectly well i got i got my a at gcse and then decided that 
pretty much was never going to use it again. Never going to count again. N- yeah, never going to count again. I've got fingers and maths, toes. Maths, maths. Yeah, absolutely. So I found quite a lot of this quite difficult to understand yeah. how it would actually work. There were certain elements of it that I was there looking at and reading at thinking, <laughs> I'm really not... Okay, so I'm, I'm seeing words here, but I don't know how it actually works. So what I managed to gather... <laughs> <laughs> so here we go. Tell me if I am wrong. Is that these are unbreakable codes unless you have the matching one-time pad. Yes. So if a code is broadcast... The only person who is going to be able to decipher that is the person who has the pad, the, that, matching, the pad matching pad that used to encrypt it. Otherwise, it's completely unbreakable because there's just no way that you can work. Even with a computer, you just cannot work through. It is, yeah, it's for all intents and purposes, yes, a one time pad is an unbreakable code. The, there are certain rules you have to follow to get to that point for it to be unbreakable or else it's just theoretically or very, very difficult to break. Okay. But yes, in simplified terms, a one-time pad is an unbreakable code. Okay. They're exactly the same length of the message which is encrypted. Yes. The key is made up of random signals, sometimes letters, sometimes numbers, sometimes modulation, sometimes Morse code. Yes, the it all has to be broken down into letters or numbers or binary codes. Okay, and that's why quite often when you hear the number stations, they're using names. So, like, say, in a Russian number station, they'll go, like, Nikolai, Anastasia, Saab, Pickle, <laughs> something. I don't... Spot the non-Russian spot word the in those words. <laughs> I, I'm, you know what, I just came up with that on the fly and it did not work. But... They're saying it's the first letter of the names, which is then taken down and then used to trans... Use, then the one-time pad is used. Yes, yes. So the... <laughs> I'm, so, I'm just sat here just looking at Jim being like, I'm so confused. Yes, yeah, so the, the first letters of the names are what's called the ciphertext, as in that is the encoded message. I'm uh, going to have a cup of... I'm going to have a sip of my tea whilst Jim's explaining this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it, effectively, we have it. It's a development of the Caesar cipher and the Visionaire cipher all the way through, but it's it's this absolute refinement of it. The problem with the one-time pad, which is why it's not used for everything, is the security of the key, the pad itself. Yeah. Um, I mean, we don't use physical pads of paper anymore, where there are one-time pads used in uh, in cryptography, but that's that's your problem is making sure that the two people who need to communicate have the exact same pad that pad doesn't fall into anyone like an enemy hands Mm -hmm. that they could copy i mean what happens if the top three pages get ruined like because it gets wet or something well which is really bizarre because some of them have been found inside bars of soap and all sorts yeah yeah i mean (laughs) there were things they did to make sure that it was it was impervious it was but it also needed to be readily destroyed yeah rice paper flash paper absolutely yeah and and they were some of them like the russian ones i believe were absolutely minuscule you needed a magnifying glass to read them amazing um that's proper spy shit i love it yeah but this is your functional problem with a one-time pad which which is why other systems automated systems 
were invented and proliferated during World War Two. For example, I mean, everyone knows about the Enigma machine. But well, I have well, heard they of know of the existence of Bletchley the Enigma Park machine. Yeah, Enigma machine. The code breakers at Bletchley. Yeah. And there were other examples like the Lorentz uh, machine, Lorentz cipher, which was a very similar machine but worked on different principles that was used only by the German high command. So, But wasn't the reason that the Enigma machine, machine worked is because they found the German version or something? Am I wrong there? Because isn't that basically the equivalent of finding like the master key one-time pad? No, if you find the one-time pad you can instantly translate the message but only one message because each message is each pad is only used once yes okay the enigma machine and the lawrence machine were efforts to make a very similar strength of cipher to the one-time pads it can't be the same because it's a mechanical device yeah but something that has so many permutations to how it encodes a message that it is virtually impossible to break or it only needs to it only needs to be unbreakable for as long as the message has effect. So if you only need the message to be about something that's happening in two days, your code only needs to be good enough that the enemy can't break it for two days. Right. So that's what the machines were doing was a way of getting the entire Axis forces to be able to use the same systems of coding, but that were theoretically unbreakable. They weren't unbreakable, as we know, Mm -hmm. because that's one of the big wartime stories, is how the Enigma machine was broken. Yeah, it it isn't. It's a different kind of beast, I think. So, (laughs) you might be able to understand this much more than I could, because this is what I've written down. So, this is how it works. The letters of the message are converted into numbers and are added to numbers from a notepad using a simple mathematical equation called false addition. The result is then transmitted and the recipient then uses the same page from their one-time pad and extracts the plain text message by applying false subtraction to the encrypted message. Yes, that is that is correct. Um, it's a bit difficult to do it, to give the examples purely audio. <laughs> So if like had a bit of whiteboard, you could probably I could probably work. And I probably still wouldn't this. understand. So that's fine. Just yeah, but, try, try for me. Okay, so if you want to send the message A B C, just three letters, mm-hmm. um, then you convert those letters to numbers zero, one, and two because you always start with zero. You don't start with one. Okay. So A equals zero, B equals one, C equals two. Fine. You then pick... I'm with you up to this point, okay? <laughs> it's usually because, probably because you're actually holding up your fingers. Yeah. You then go to your one-time pad, which because you're only sending a message of three characters, you only use the first three randomly generated. They have to be random. First three, whatever they are on your one-time pad. If they're numbers, say, they will be numbers from 0 to 25. If they're letters, then you convert them to numbers in the same way as you did for your message. Okay. So say their numbers, this is a very, very simplified version, and the numbers are 20, 15, and 10. Mm-hmm. So you add the two sets together. So 20 plus 0 is 20. Mm-hmm. 15 plus 1 is 16. Fine. 10 plus 2 is 12. So now you've got numbers 20, whatever I just said, 16 and 12. Well done for remembering that because I've forgotten. And Go. then you convert those back to letters. But how do you know what to? T- but how do you know what to subtract if you don't know what the co- the message is? You know is? what the key is. So twenty sixteen and twelve convert them to letters, which I can't do in my head in the alphabet. No, it's fine. But 
the receiver gets these three letters, converts them back to numbers, 20, 16, and 12, take, takes away the key numbers, uh-huh. which were 20, 15, and 10, yeah. and they end up with 0, 1, and 2. And they convert those back to letters, and they go, oh, Lisa sent me the message ABC. Wow. And I... then you burn the top of pot top sheet of your one-time pad. But how do you... Oh, my gosh. But how do you know which one to use? That has to... This is what... I'm so confused this about is what... how... So somebody's sending a, ra- a message, and I've seen some of these one-time pads. Imagine, like, every single one of them has maybe got... Let's say it's a five-number a five num- five block. Mm-hmm. Every single one of the, those sheets has got, like, 30 five-number blocks. Well, what, how do you know what to use? The has, I am the, so this is what This is what's called key security. So okay. there has to be a prearranged method or kind of um, of how you use them. So it could just be as simple as the first message you get, use the top pad, the top sheet of the pad, and yeah. then take it, tear it off and burn it. Or could it be that the maybe the number will have like a starter code or something that you can, it'll be like use page number 37, but that would yes. some some maybe? system some code systems use, um, in effect, what you're calling a starter code. And <laughs> it, it's, yeah. it's correctly called an initialization vector in, in cryptography, but it is, it's a, but the problem is... <laughs> I'm just is, laughing at how rubbish I am at this. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. The problem is it's, it's a weakness. It's a weakness in a code because either it has to be sent, it has to be sent in some way that is more understandable. So therefore, it's weaker than the actual coded message itself. It could even be sent in the clear, which is just unencoded. Mm-hmm. So you could get a message that says one, two, three, four, five, six, where one, two, three means you use the hundred twenty third sheet in your pad. Uh huh. I'm just staring at Jim, yeah. and you can just see the tumbleweed. <laughs> But that's an inherent flaw in the system. Yeah. So it's much better to have prearranged things that happen literally face to face. But you have to be very sure at that point that the person that you're sending those messages to isn't going to miss a message. Yeah. Because or, if you're constantly saying, use the top page of your pad, what if you miss a message and then the next message comes through and you're using the top page of your pad, but it should actually be like the second page? Because you should have already destroyed the first page. Yeah. Or, which is why they would have more complex systems than that. Something like messages transmitted on the 6th of the month, use these particular pages, tear right. them off after you've used them. Okay. Or messages, th- there would be criteria. That, that suddenly makes more sense. And the reason that I, uh, I'm i asking these questions, and I hope you're not bored out of your mind listening to this, but How I... How can you? Cryptography's cool. I feel like I need to understand how this works to make it work in my mind as a theory. Mm-hmm. One of the things I find very puzzling and very confusing, and probably because obviously I wasn't listening to these broadcasts and so on during <laughs> the Cold War and, and so on, but if you listen to a number station now, it is just the same numbers repeated over and over. And mm-hmm. then beep, and then two hours goes by, and then it's the same numbers repeated again, the same numbers repeated again. Well, surely that can't mean anything. Or is that, are there those numbers, like, literally just the last message that was sent, or...? Yeah, they sound like um, like one-time emergency stations. Like, there's a very specific message needs communicating over a long distance to, say, all possible agents, if we're going down the spy route. Then that will be the way to do it. It will be to just have the message transmit, like an emergency broadcast. We'll just have the message basically transmitters, like, all fine 
please hold, all fine, please hold, or something. No, that's or... that's kind of like an operational specific thing. It's more like, um, okay, imagine there was a an undercover operation in Russia in the 60s, say, that involved an incredibly complex operation that involved agents like 30 agents in Russia, five in Cuba, um, a whole load of others, like people in Vietnam embedded with whatever. Mm -hmm. And there needed to be a single coordinated go message given for a simultaneous operation to commence for like a go point where now it is, that's what you'd use. You'd use a something nationwide, like global. Yeah. The, a one-time pad is not necessary that, yeah, that, that committed it that did a code uh, well and then or, all of these agents could have identical one-time pads they translate it it's go but then they why go. is it still or go? it's but, abort but why is it still going why are those numbers still well if that's but, what you're if that's what you're saying it could be then well it needs to be untraceable does... if if it was a if it was a if it was like something but that... they're all untraceable exactly we know so... what country we can we can basically narrow down to countries probably and sometimes areas but generally speaking they are i don't think anyone's actually ever really found where they are yeah so they could just be relics like the um like the kind of like 1960s 70s space junk that's floating around the planet well, and that's occasionally what I was falls just wondering to, yeah. whether it is a case of it was, it was just it went in they turned they, this, they turned it on and it's just carried on and then they got the hell out and it's just there and it's just broadcasting over broadcasting, and over again broadcasting broadcasting later on i'm going to talk about the buzzer because that's actually quite interesting some of the things that have been heard in more recent times on the buzzer uh -huh. so i will talk about that but for now Thank you for right. educating me about cryptography. That might have been a little bit rambly, so I'm no. happy to answer questions about cryptography if I didn't get that right. <laughs> there you go. Any Anything that you want to know about cryptography, ask Jim. <laughs> and he'll probably... Yeah. You're going to be the man from Google. Brilliant. Okay, so we actually have some evidence to support the theory of them being used to transmit messages Yay. to spies. We actually have some historical evidence, so this is... It's about time we got to some. I know, not just a conspiracy theory anymore. We actually have a little bit of evidence here. So there's a few best known ones, and I will go through them. You can obviously find out more about them. I'll just give you some summaries. So from 1945 to 58... Um, agents from the CIA and British Secret Service were dispatched to support anti-Soviet guerrillas in the Baltic states, Belarus and the Ukraine. Most of those agents were captured. Good and, job. Yeah, apparently. And captured with their transmitters and their code books. <laughs> what a bungle. <laughs> what a bungle indeed. And so the KGB used those codes to send messages. Uh-huh to for and for well use the agents to send signals which lured more agents yeah and so they could be captured classic always classic classic spy stuff the fbi recruited a source inside the communist party of america who observed many coded messages which were sent between the ussr and the u.s communist communities and these were able to be decoded using instructions who were sent by a spy who had actually infiltrated the kgb this is all good stuff. I love this. Yeah. This is one of my favourites. In 1977, I am so sorry. 
Alexander Dmitrievich Ogorodrik. Ogorodrik? I can't see your notes, so I can't help. I know. Alexander Dmitrievich. No, it isn't. Oh my god. Right. In 1977, it's the bottom paragraph. Yeah, Dmitrievich. Oh, oh yeah, wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ogorodrik. Okay. Pass it back. Probably Ogorodrik. You're forgiven. I take back my scoffing. <laughs> Who was a Soviet diplomat, codename Trigon or Trigon. I don't know. Depends on how you want to pronounce it. I like Trigon. Okay. Um, I don't think it is. I think it's just Trigon. It's probably Trigon. I know. Yeah. But I like the other. Um, who was actually spying on Soviet secrets for the US and he received his instructions via a number stations and was captured at his station, apparently. Oh. Apparently. This is, again, it's all, it's something, sometimes it's said that he was in front of his shortwave radio. Others say that it was one of the people who actually sent the coded messages, who actually, I was about to say, dubbed him in. Yeah, no, I think that's legit. Okay, legit, fine. Betrayed him to the Be- authorities. Betrayed him to the authorities. Um, or uh, dobbed him in. Yeah, I think it was... some. So the person who was sending those messages said, this guy's receiving my messages via this. Right. On the number station, he's here, go yeah. get him. Murky. Yeah. And something from, like a spy film or novel, he was told... He offered to write a full confession, and he said... But could I do it with my pen? Oh, the classic. What do you think was inside the pen? Ah, it's going to be like cyanide. Uh-huh, sure. yeah. Hidden in the cup was a cyanide pill, which he bit and died. Wow. So didn't give, us conf- didn't give a confession. I mean, that's pretty amazing. That it's is like spy-tastic. It's like spy, James Bondy kind of thing, taking that cyanide pill. Yeah. To mean that he don't didn't. remember Bond ever taking a cyanide pill. No, but pill. there was a Bond film where the bad guy took a cyanide pill and his face all like part of his face melted, but he didn't die. Was there? Yeah. Oh, sorry, the recent stuff. Yes, yeah. Um, Javier Bardem in um, Spyfall. Oh no. I want to say yeah. I just remember he, he takes his he jaw takes, out and his face jo- goes yes. all creepy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. he didn't actually manage to die from taking yes. the cyanide pill. Yes, and that's why he was bitter. Okay. Spoilers for uh, Spyfall there. And also nothing to do really with number stations. But there you go, a little bit of additional. No, but number stations are creepy, and so is Javier Bardem. So there in is that film. <laughs> Sorry if you're listening, Javier. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the next one. In 1998, the Cuban Five, this is one of the biggies, um, and there is a lot of information out there about it, so I couldn't give everything. I had to kind of summarise it pretty quickly, because there's only so much time we have. The Cuban Five, who are part of uh, the WASP network, were arrested, and the Cuban government only actually acknowledged that they were intelligence agents in 2001. So Mm -hmm. for three years, they said, no, nothing to do with us. Yeah. Actually, yeah, they kind of were. And there's actually a lot of information out there about this case. But the key element for this podcast is that the spies were actually caught with shortwave radio broadcasts going right. on. And those shortwave radio broadcasts were actually used in court against them. Some of the messages yeah. read, prioritize and continue to strengthen friendships with Joe and Dennis. Okay. Uh, Oh, I thought you were going to tell me that we knew who Joe and Dennis were. I am afraid I haven't done my research about that, but I don't know. Okay. What year was it? Well, they were arrested in 1998. Uh, okay. But maybe these... There must be code names. 
that saves us the problem of having to. Well, possibly, but I'm but I'm just wondering how long ago these. I mean, these messages could have been being sent since sort of Bay of Pigs era, and so <laughs> maybe these aren't recent messages. Maybe they're saying we found the Cuban spies now, but this has been going on for forty years, and these are some of the messages that. All yeah, right. Okay. I mean, you just, yeah, I don't know. If you can, if you do know, do let us know. But I don't know. So, yeah, great history podcast, Lisa. Good research. Well done. Um, <laughs> another one was, under no circumstances should agents, German nor Castor, fly with BTTR or other organisation on days 24, 25, 26 and 27. Okay. So maybe they knew that there were going to be people waiting for them. Yeah. Or there was going to be something going on. Yeah, standard spy chatter, as well as my personal favourite, congratulate all the female comrades for International Day of the Woman. Brilliant. Big fan. Big yeah. fan of that. Well done. I, I approve. Progressive. Woke spies. <laughs> well done, spies. Anything to add to I'm, any of that? Yeah, I, I, that's, that's quite interesting. It's sort of... I'm starting to head towards, uh, like, convince myself that the number stations might just be sort of like relics, like the last few, that these were actually really, really common mm-hmm. um, during certain periods of heightened tension. The Cold War especially. Cold That's War where especially. they really picked up. More of them kind of came into use. Yeah. It's not like they've always been there. Yeah. They've always been there. <laughs> Yeah, like The Shining. We've been here forever and and ever. ever. Um, (laughs) That's space. That's totally different. Yeah, sorry. Um, But, (laughs) yeah, and the the, the ones we see now, the later ones, perhaps the ones that are still broadcasting, are literally just Cold War antiques that no one's turned off. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there was a drop-off of their activity after the fall of the soviet union and many western spy agencies have obviously started employing new means of message encrypting like um steganography and all i can see is a dinosaur brilliant it's every time i read steganography and that's all i can see is a little dinosaur with like a notepad it's great (laughs) (laughs) so he got a hat on oh he needs a hat yeah Yeah. little like private eye hat that would be so cool so, hey, more information about... Steganography? Yeah. Do you, need, do you want me to talk about steganography? <laughs> you, you, you could talk about steganography um, and how it's different to cryptography, but here's a little kind of... Here's my summary. They use totally different mechanisms to protect the information, but at their core, they're both just trying to protect messages. Uh-huh. Um, so cryptography changes the information to ciphertext, which needs a decryption key to translate it. So it's very obvious that the message is hidden. Steganography doesn't change the format of the information, but conceals the existence of the message. So it's more discreet than cryptography, but the hidden message is easier to extract if its presence is discovered. Yeah. And again, there's lots of websites out there. And all number station signals originating from Romania stopped abruptly. There are no signals, um, no number station signals coming from Romania anymore. With the fall of Nicola Zazescu. Nicolae Ceausescu. That one. <laughs> was that uh, 1989? Something around that mark. I've just given a very Gallic shrug. Okay, fine. Good, uh, good, clean, good. Yeah, yeah, so last time he said that Jim was saying that his behind had gone numb during the fact that we were just using fold-out chairs. 
Thanks to FreeCycle, I managed to get us two um, really old computer chairs, which I'm not sure are actually comfy at. <laughs> no, they are the same level of discomfort, but now they roll around the floor freely. <laughs> <laughs> and make creaky sounds. So we're just going to have to just gradually try and improve our setup. It's not easy, but we're, we're trying. We're trying so very hard. Massive, easy chairs. Oh my god, that would be so good. That would be better. I think we might have yeah, to look into that. I think we need a bigger house. Anyway, the buzzer is still broadcasting. This is the name of another station. Yes. Gotcha. The buzzer is still broadcasting, um, widely known as UVB76. I can see why they call it the buzzer. And spotted in the 70s and is, guess what, known for its constant... Buzzing? Yeah, well done. Brilliant. Um... You can find it on 4625 kilohertz, apparently. So it literally just buzzes. Would you like to hear it? Uh, No, but I think in the interests of science, you probably should play it. I will play a very small amount of it because, to be honest, it's all the same. So here you go. does what it says on the tin doesn't it so yeah so you've heard the buzzer yeah and that is pretty much what is goes on all the time and occasionally there's some sort of modulation of that but it's always the same it's like i didn't want to play all of it including the modulation because nobody's got time for that but basically it just constantly well yes but it's it's constantly there it's not like it even repeats or goes offline or anything it is constant okay it's no codes it's just that sound it's a buzzer apart from the couple of moments in um in history so sometimes distant conversations and other background noises have been heard behind a buzzer so it's like there's an open microphone um so it sort of suggests that the buzzing noises are not generated internally but are being transmitted from a device that's being that's placed live so a couple of these points one such occasion was in november 2001 the 3rd of november 2001 when a conversation in russian was heard my russian is non-existent so here is the english translation i am 143 not receiving the generator oscillator that stuff comes from the hardware room okay in September 2010, several unusual broadcasts were observed, including portions of the buzzer being replaced with extracts from Swan Lake. Mm-hmm. On the 11th of November 2010, again, English translation, Officer of the Duty Station Debut, Ensign Uspenskaya, received a test call from Nedetsa, understood. I don't know, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm fair just, enough. I'm just telling you what's going on. And then in 2010, it went silent for 24 hours. Someone unplugged the buzzer thing by accident. It was moving. Yeah. So the... I mean, yeah, that, that, that sounds legit. That just sounds like a constantly transmitting shortwave radio that's somewhere in a secret Russian bunker that occasionally picks up them chatting. Yeah. And people have said that the buzzer is basically there to stop other people using that that frequency that frequency to broadcast anything so it's almost being used to, as a holding path like a holder 
Yeah. Um, so in case it's ever needed in the future. That makes all the sense in the world, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it does. That they play this buzzer because there is no way that you could talk over that. No. It's hideously irritating. And it's constant. So it means that nobody's going to take that frequency on. Nobody's going to broadcast everything. Sometimes, apparently, on ones like that, you do hear chatter from, like, fishermen and so on, who are mm, maybe we... the signals being... You know, crossing the streams crossing, or whatever. Yeah, yeah and Ghostbusters whatever the, yeah, style. Whatever radio terminology yeah. is for that. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, that, that, that seems entirely reasonable, doesn't that it? That these stations are purely there to keep channels open. Sort of, if the shortwave broadcasts are relics from conflict, mm. to keep them open, it doesn't. It probably doesn't cost anything, it doesn't cause any problems, but it does mean well, that... Well, it certainly doesn't if you're illegal. Well, the cost of the hardware and the power, but... But if you've been, if that's the same hardware that's been there for... Yeah, just leave it on, no sense turning it off. Mm. So... Apparently, when the buzzer was moved, and is now apparently PIP76, afterwards, the bunker was actually investigated. It was found that the number station was broadcasting from Poporovo? Poporovo? Poporovo. That sounds sounds possible. In that kind of area. And in 2011, some sort of urban explorers found and investigated a bunker. Apparently... And we've seen, you know, there were some photos. Uh, It was in an advanced state of decay, which is frankly weird if it was only left a couple of months before or a year before. It looked like it had been deserted for like 50 years. Apparently a book of logged messages from 2005 was found. However, you know, as a good historian, only evidence of this that I can find is one of the people who was there, apparently, was talking about it on Reddit, (laughs) <laughs> and telling people on Reddit about it. And there are apparently photos, but right. none of them actually say what they are. They could be photos of any underground bunker, kind of Cold War era underground bunker. Yeah. I mean, that's there's nothing that proves that to me, that that's what it actually was. They found radio transmitters, but then again, surely every bunker would have radio transmitters? Well, you would expect so, yeah. Or else it's literally just a concrete box for someone to sit in. Yeah. A general consensus is certainly like the buzzer and current stations are being used as a holding signal to keep the channel open and available so nobody uses it. So it's ready if it ever needs to be used in the future. I'm feeling a thumbs up for this so far. Okay. Would you like to hear one of the more aspirational conspiracy theories? I would love it. Yeah, this is this all feels very factual and correct. I would like to get involved in something that feels a bit wilder. Okay. There are people that say that the currently broadcasting number stations actually contain embedded information about an upcoming grand conspiracy of for an do. assassination or bombing somewhere that will have huge geopolitical implications. Right. The biggest of these is that the buzzer is actually tied to a dead hand system. The name dead hand system was from a piece of literature that was written around the Cold War era. Uh However, there apparently actually was a dead, is a dead hand system or was a dead hand system. Some people say is, but some people say was. I know that Trump definitely thought is, but what can we believe with that? And it's called Perimeter, and it was created during the Cold War, 
and it's an automatic nuclear weapons control system constructed by the Soviet Union. So it's an example of failed, deadly and mutually assured destruction. So if basically everyone dies and can't push a button, a computer will kind of figure out that if somebody doesn't push a button, like in Lost, mm-hmm. and this is where I'm going with this, is which came first? <laughs> yeah. Which came first? Lost or the idea that it might be a dead hand system? Because that's basically what it is in Lost. It's a dead hand system. Yes, or is it, but... Well, yes, yeah. okay, but let's just... Look, fine. A button has to be pushed. A button the numbers ha- have to be Numbers input. have to be added in. Numbers have to be input. A button has to be pushed to reset a clock. Yeah. And so it's kind of a consist. It's a constant that these things have, have to happen. Yeah. Some people think that the buzzer, if the buzzer goes offline, that's the trigger for the dead hand system. Right. Except it went offline in 2010 and we're yeah. still here. Yeah. Yeah, so that doesn't that I But but they but people that be, you know, if a good conspiracy theory can always say, well, yeah, but that wasn't actually. We could tell that there it was being moved. Mm-hmm. I was like, could you really though? I not as a something that's happening now. I think that's bunk. But again, following this thread of there being <clears throat> of them being sort of antiquated relics of the Cold War, I could believe. I think it's plausible that they could form part of a failsafe. Yeah. In effect, what it is that I, isn't still in isn't still in use. Isn't but still at in use, the, but at one, at that, point, at was. one point was. Um, I know for a fact. I won't say from where, but I know that Western bombers during the Cold War loaded with nuclear weapons would fly loops over the USSR and if they didn't receive coded messages at specific way markers they were to initiate a nuclear attack so there were these failsafe systems in place during that time so I find it entirely plausible. So something like the buzzer or whatever could well have been during that period tied to the perimeter system yeah i like not not as part of some kind of global illuminati conspiracy (laughs) theory but again as like i say as as relics of of the cold war of those systems that were in place i like that i haven't i hadn't actually thought of that Mm. but i like that as a possibility it kind of takes the conspiracy theory (laughs) and actually puts it in a more appropriate and possible context yeah and so i do like that the only problem that i do have with something like that being used is that shortwave radio signals they have to change constantly during the day and so if you're broadcasting at a certain frequency all the time if you're broadcasting at the same frequency all the time that's not necessarily going to be accessible everywhere so because of the composition of the ionosphere at different times of day, it has different reflective characteristics. At different times, it's better at night, different times of the year. I think the World Service, BBC World Service, changes its yeah. changes its frequency depending on the time of the day and so on and what's going on. So if are we thinking then that the buzzer is only meant to be received in Russia? I think so, yeah. I... So therefore, it, it doesn't matter if it's not necessarily going to be received 
yeah, further it, away or whatever. If it's not being modulated, that doesn't if it matter. Doesn't matter yeah. Okay. So that actually, in some ways, is actually a more of a support mm. for that, that it is an almost an internal, yeah. almost countrywide. It's not meant for people in a different country as some kind of spy network to necessarily hear it. It's more to do with... It's, it's, it's a constant signal being broadcast within a specific geographic area, yeah. which would be fine. Also, the fact that... I'm assuming all, if or most, if not all, of the known number stations broadcast on a static frequency. To me, this supports the theory of them being relics, because when they were active, they could be in bunkers where you've got radio operators modulating the frequency in order to make sure that the message was going where it needed to be. Yeah. But as soon as they became redundant and or, and, or they were withdrawn, they were just left on the last frequency they were on, it's supported by the fact that numbers and letters and so on are still being broadcast the same numbers oh. day in, day out. So what are we thinking? It feels like such an odd subject to cover because there is historical evidence of number stations being used uh-huh. as part of the spy network during the Cold War especially. The fact that they're still going, as you said, they could be relics, but we don't know. I've, yeah, okay. I feel like... I feel like they're a normal thing that has become conspiracyized. That's a good word. Um, I like the idea that they are relics of the Cold War period that are just still in use. The but well, still active. I think is probably the better term. And by the fact that they are just this little weird selection of what used to be a much more sort of prolific thing that was going on they appear odd they appear strange which means that it's easy to attach more outlandish concepts to them or indeed to see to see the surviving number stations or those that we know about as representative of the whole whereas actually what we've got is a tiny little subset of what was actually quite a common thing that was going on yeah just radio telecommunications but why has it never been admitted to well a lot of governments well we all know that governments use radio telecommunications we know that spy networks use telecommunications fact of the matter is that a bunch of these are just they're just like i say the remnants of it and some of them probably still serve useful purposes i like the idea that the buzzer is just holding a ch- holding a frequency yeah that it's reserving a frequency that the russian armed forces in some way the russian military or the russian spy <laughs> sort of like um, espionage networks want that frequency held and that could be the case for quite a few of these that are broadcast still on it's it, their holding patterns there is a recording and it's on youtube of it's on youtube and there's not much information it's like this was recorded when russia invaded the ukraine and i don't know if that's any different to the stuff that we've heard before from the number station yeah what was going on i mean it's like, well, is that was it anything is it nothing is it even real is it is it verifiable that's that's the problem yeah, yeah. and this is one again this is one of the awkward things because you can listen to them live you've got to be very lucky if you happen to be listening and recording at exactly the time something in the world happens yeah to the right channel absolutely as with so many things which have become a focus for conspiracy theory they do they just become a dumping ground for any kind of wacky idea it's with something like the number stations where there is inherent uncertainty and mystery and weirdness it's easy for people to drop 
far more complex meanings on top of it and see patterns where there may well not be Mm. um and that's part of the way the human brain works is that we we look for patterns we look for things that are repeated it's like saying you never see yellow cars on the road then you will always always instantly look for yellow cars yeah whereas if we apply what i'm now going to call jim's law yay i love it (laughs) that i uh that i espoused in episode one what's the least weird explanation because that's probably right so let's say it's a variation of occam's razor but i'm going to call it jim's law what's least weird and for me least weird is fragmentary remnants of a system that a, was a system of cold war communication yeah that by the virtue of the fact that there's only a small sex subsample of them left look weird and some of them like all the romanian ones have gone off air when when ceausescu fell when ceausescu fell yeah and the regime was changed yeah that would again would make sense to me that they are a remnant of a time yeah when the, such things were needed and were in were in kind of really wide use in all forms of communication yeah i just don't think we're ever going to know exactly i don't think anyone's ever going to admit it and certainly if they're still there being used as a holder i just don't think that anyone's really going to stand up and say oh yes these things happen because suddenly you're going to have all sorts of problems as a government yeah and you don't get rid of stuff if it might be useful no so if it's not well just leave it absolutely and the whole conspiracy theory would still carry on even if a government did admit it. Are we going to believe them? That's the point of conspiracy theories. As soon as they start, they, they're self-feeding. Mm-hmm. Of course you're not going to believe that what the government said. They're just hiding things. And then it's self-perpetuating. Yeah. Amazing work has been done recording the stations. As I said, if you're interested in hearing recordings, you can actually listen to them for free. Just search for the Connet Project. That's C-O-N-E-T. You can listen to five cds worth of recordings of all the number stations <laughs> that that were and are there's also priam.org which is where you can actually listen live you can search for them by language by country find out whether they're active whether they're inactive when have there been any fake broadcasts because that's always a good one people hijack signals yeah but i'm going to finish well i'll just say we'll um if I can figure out how, we'll link them in the uh, episode description. Oh, absolutely. There's yeah. going to be various things. I mean, I'll link some various encyclopedia, encyclopedia reference as well to steganography and cryptography <laughs> and like, you know, I don't know. Maybe you guys are... Maybe just a little video of me explaining steganography and you falling asleep in the background. With a little Segosaurus yeah. and with a little hat on. But just to just to finish off, before I obviously say my thank yous, this is what the British spokesperson said back in 1988. These are what you suppose they are. People shouldn't be mystified by them. They're not, shall we say, for public consumption. <laughs> what an amazing statement. That's an object lesson in saying nothing at all. Uh, isn't isn't it? that wonderful? Carefully worded. Yeah. Indeed, that doesn't say anything. Shut up. Look, over there. Woo! It's a stegosaurus with a hat. It's a stegosaurus with a hat. <laughs> it's a stegosaurus with a hat on. There I'm you... out of here. Yeah. Ooh, aliens. <laughs> so, <laughs> this is going to take quite a bit of editing, I think, because I am so very, very tired. I'm waffling and pausing in massive amounts today. And I will do a little kind of mini podcast about my chronic illness. I have something called myalgic encephalomyelitis, ME, which means that... 
my brain doesn't work as well as it should do sometimes. But yes, thank you very much for listening. We're just so grateful for you being a part of this. We're thoroughly enjoying it. Um, we are, yeah. Yeah, thoroughly enjoying doing it. And I'm really enjoying being back to being able to do research. We're gradually trying to get this uploaded to various sites. But we do have a website through the Podbean, which has links to the various yes, sites. Yeah. So if you go to historymysteriespod.podbean.com, you should be able to find little clickable links that should take you to your podcast listening place of choice. Yeah, I and we'll... we'll spread that out via the socials and things yeah well. we're yeah. very we are we're on the socials as hist mist podcast we're very <laughs> late to this party anyway so thank you very much for being here for this i'm not quite sure what we're going to do for the next podcast i've got a few yeah, a, a few couple, ideas couple possibilities My, i would like to do the dit love dit love pass Ah, uh, yes, okay. That's a good one. That's what I would like to do for the next one. So hopefully we will be uploading one a week on a Monday, but it depends on my chronic illness and it depends on, well, the trains outside and yeah. general life. I, th- I think shenanigans. Our, I think our aim is if we can get out three a month, then that's going well. Uh, that, that's, it also that's means one, that we yeah. can carry on using the free hosting. Yeah, all about free stuff. All about the free hosting. So, yeah, <laughs> thank you for being here. Take care of yourselves, everyone, and we will see you, see you, hear you, speak to you, speak to you, speak to you next time. Mm-hmm.